0: Hello, everybody!
1: Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up.
0: to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast my name is charles and with me today as always is my lifelong friend and co-host dylan i'm ready to talk some
1: fantasy with my friend
0: charles i'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend Dylan as well, but not just any (laughs) fantasy today, because today we are revisiting our conversation that just could not be contained into one episode, and that is our discussion of best served cold book four of the first law universe, a standalone in its own right by none
1: other than the great Joe Abercrombie, Lord Grimdark himself. Right. And I was so glad we split this into two parts because what was the last one, like an hour and 20 minutes? And I was like, oh, geez, I hope we're moving at a pace where we can fit it in two parts. (laughs) So I I feel like we did get probably about halfway. Right. And um, yeah, I'm happy that we pulled that off. And I'm really excited to tackle the rest of this, like in part one, which I Good time to go back to if you haven't heard that yet. Uh, Like part one, we're going to have a no-holds-barred conversation with spoilers through Best Served Cold, which means that the original First Law trilogy is also going to be fair game for spoilers in this episode, as is everything that happens in Best Served Cold, but we won't spoil anything in the First Law universe beyond that. And other than that, yeah, I'm ready to get into this, Charles. Yeah, well said.
0: You've been, ye be warned, there's spoilers ahead. And without any oh, more delay, turn it.
1: Turn, I forgot my signature line. Oh, jokes. you did. How could I forget? So now's That's a good a time one. to turn this. Yeah, it was super close. Now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you haven't already read Best Served Cold and you don't want to get that spoiled for you
0: yes great and with that let's pick up where we left off so things went haywire at cardati's house of leisure that it did uh you know Monza runs in with chazal shivers and his opponent Greylock. it goes from a mock battle to a real battle and we talked about that whole play on the revenge story by seeing it out of water, with like there's a fish out of water with Greylock here. And then Friendly is accused of having loaded dice, which is probably one of the biggest Ugh. crimes committed in this whole book. And so Cardatis burns us to the ground. We do manage to sneak in our revenge while it's happening. And now Monza's crew is riding into Viscerine. And here we get set up that Monza has a safe house in Viscerine. And when they get there, it is revealed mm-hmm. that there are squatters. In the safe house, it's an innocent-looking family. And uh, Morvir is like, well, let's kill them all, you know? That's <laughs> just what you got to do. And is like, you know what? After all the killing we've been through, I'm fine if they just stay in the first floor and and, and we get the penthouse. And and that works for me.
1: Yeah, and it's very interesting from the Snake of Tolens, who's mm-hmm. always given the classic mercy and cowardice are the same type lines, those are the axioms that she's embraced from her teachings, or at least claims to have, that she... Really, this is a situation where she has very little to gain personally by allowing these squatters to stick around and everything to lose. And she makes the what i think is the much more moral decision to allow the squatters to just hang and it in classic joe abercrombie grimdark style we like to say no good deed goes unpunished (laughs) and this one will (laughs) this this good deed will go punished for her, and uh, especially Shivers.
0: Yes, and absolutely. And to me, this is again what a, a part of what this book explores is like: where do you draw the line on when to be violent or non-violent, merciful, merciless? And they're always put in these scenarios. There's times where is free to bash someone in piece by piece with a hammer. And then there's times where she just does not have the stomach to kill a a single individual, even if she can greatly benefit from it. And you see Manza going like losing her taste for violence in certain parts and and getting that passion sparked back into her and others. And this is one of those moments where it's, it's just explores like, these people did nothing to you, but, you know, your life would probably be better if they were gone. And I think just coming fresh out of Cardati's and, and then also what happened at Valon and Bach, she's looking to put some good back into the world, which, as Dylan mentions, goes most definitely punished, as it always does in a in a Lord Grimdark novel here. And that is when, of course, uh Monza and Shivers are captured. The squatters betray Monza. Yeah. Um, that was the issue. And she Monza was so focused on getting revenge on Genmark that she forgot that Duke Salier was there the whole time. And it was Duke Salier's forces that That captured her and brought them to the castle.
1: And it's just the classic. Almost nihilism. That we see in a lot of. Of Joe Abercrombie's. Work here. Where it's like the pointlessness. Of being captured by. The side that you're actually. Not that you're trying to help. Per se. But the side that would be helped. By the thing that they're trying to do. Right. And. Yeah, to get captured by the wrong side because they have all these uniforms and things like that and they think that they're spies. It's just, yeah, <laughs> so such pointless violence that they end up going through and that torture, those torture scenes that we end up getting are just absolutely brutal. And it's interesting that we get the chance Uh, chance sounds weird. We, we get to see what it's like on the other side of one of these torture scenes. We've been in the original first law trilogy on the side of the torturer so much. And rarely have we been in the side of the, on the side of the tortured. And we get that here in best serve cold and poor shivers, man, poor Poor shivers, shivers. It's,
0: it's, it's, a very intense scene because first of all, just the pure senselessness of the situation in the first place. Yeah. Uh, Second of all, the truth doesn't do him any good. Lies don't do him any good. And... We know Shiver's backstory. He was hired by Monza to do a job. He's relatively, in terms of conspiracy, innocent <laughs> in all of oh. this. I mean, he did murder yeah. a lot of people. In terms
1: of conspiracy, but not in terms of murder. Yeah,
0: not in terms... He's very guilty of of murder. And it's it's like you said, Dylan. We're so used to seeing the torture side. Even like Monza's vengeance on Gaba uh, with the hammer felt very reminiscent Mm -hmm. to something we would see from Glockta in the first law but now we're seeing all of these things that Glockta used to describe where shivers was confessing everything and like trying to put it back on manza and begging and (sighs) going the whole gambit and it it doesn't help him one bit the uh, lord grimdark jarver crombie goes into pretty vivid detail on this whole idea of putting the poker in the fire getting it hot uh, squelching his eye i've noticed that while reading a lot of abercrombie in a row he loves the word squelch (laughs) interesting it's a word that i've never really thought of before and then like He's used it in several different contexts, uh, romantically and in violence as well. He's like oh, okay. squelch, squelch, and, and you're like squelch. But uh, it, it's—I uh, don't know if he uses it in this particular scene, but he uses it quite a bit. <laughs> he probably did use it in this scene. Who knows? And uh, yeah, it's 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 an intense scene. And then of course, what happens, Dylan? Like two seconds later, yeah, the, uh, who arrives at the door but Casca himself. Because we yes. you know this was teased in the beginning. Costco's like, why don't we just go say, my name is Nicola Costco <laughs> and I'm here for dinner. And everyone's yes. like, fame, that's soldier my fortune, yeah. yes, fame soldier of fortune, Charles. Don't forget, Fame soldier of fortune. And I'm here for dinner. And they're like, that's a stupid yeah. plan. And then it's Vitari <laughs> and Morvier are like watching from afar. And it's like, that's Costca. Yeah. He's walking right up to the <laughs> gates. <laughs>
1: It's such an amazing Kaska moment because it's like so here's the thing that I've been talking about for and we'll get to shivers and his eye and we'll get to I actually want to talk to about Monza and what she's going through in this moment as well. But to, to stick with Kaska for a second, mm. it's one of these things where this happens over and over again throughout this novel is you're supposed to think that casca is just absolutely full of hot air and in many ways he is but in the most key ways throughout this novel he consistently is not Mm -hmm. he actually delivers over and over again on many things that you think are just bluster and this is one (laughs) of those times where he's like it no i literally can just walk up there and say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> yeah the the line when he's <laughs> coming up with it it's like Vitari asks how the hell do you plan to make use of it and he goes i imagine i will address the guards at the palace gate and say something along the lines of i'm Nikomokaska, famed soldier of fortune and i am here for dinner and it's <laughs> there was an uncomfortable silence quite as if he had contributed a giant turd rather than a winning idea <laughs> yeah. so it's like you see everyone's reaction to it and you assume that it's like okay caska's like Kask is so off-base again, but in this moment, he completely delivers. That's exactly what he does, and it works, <laughs> and it's so amazing. And It's actually believable, too, because it's like, of course Kask is a winning din- dinner guest.
0: Right. Why wouldn't he be? Of course, and at this moment, it's like, why wouldn't Duke Salier invite them into yeah. his hall? He's under siege. He's got nothing to lose. They have a mutual enemy. I mean, why would he do anything other than at least... You know, talk to them if not have dinner. So it makes a lot of sense, and it ended up working. Just a moment too late for shivers, and then I love Duke. Sailor's like, oh, an unfortunate bit of business that is. Yeah, <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it is horrible, and I I want to speak some to what Monza's going through during it, which is this interesting thing where. The torturer is someone who actually admires Monza, or at least the idea of who Monza is supposed to be, right? The Butcher of Capril and all of that. And part of why she doesn't believe that Monza is who shivers and Monza are claiming she is, is that she tells Monza later, she's like, oh, I thought that the Snake of Talons would be able to handle all that with a lot more of a... Just, I don't know if courage is a word used, but just like a stone faced, like stoic type, uh, such a hard person that you'd never be able to get them to crack, even in the worst circumstance. And during the moment, Monza's reacting just like a person. And I think that's one of the amazing things of Abercrombie's writing is the 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 depth with which he writes his character, because there's so many characters that are supposed to be like these hardened warriors that th- go through these tortured scenes in other books, and they just can't crack. And it's that Abercrombie attitude of like, really? When you're watching someone else get their eye burned out, and you think you're next, you're not going to crack. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter who you are. Right. So I I appreciate that about Abercrombie's writing, and that about Monza's depth as a character. It, it helps make her feel. Real rather than one of those, like, uh, I don't know, like one dimensional, quote unquote, strong female characters w- who just end up being uh, like uh, don't feel like real people because the author tries to make them so hard, you know? Right.
0: And there's that moment when they're saved and she realizes that she's going to be saved, that she just sobs uncontrollably and she's like you know naked on the floor of this hall in front of everybody including Casca just um you know sobbing with relief yeah and she just doesn't even think about like how that makes her look you know which is important for someone who's whole who feels like they have to have this whole air and reputation of being hard and merciless To to have these moments and like you said Dylan I think it just enriches her character so for sure then you know we get the dinner. This dinner Charles. that was promised, yes.
1: On shivers, did you notice the foreshadowing throughout the book for shivers's eye situation? Uh, did you
0: be more specific?
1: There's, well, do you want me to just say the yeah. the stuff? Yeah, sure. So. In chapter, or his first point of view chapter, Shivers threatens to cut someone else's eye out. Oh. And, yeah, then the more telling one is when there's, hold on, I'm, I'm getting this one up. There's a point where he uh, says, be nice to Yeah, be nice to get out of this with both his eyes in plans and accidents is the chapter. Hmm. And that is when they're kind of sneaking around the bank, I think. Nice. And then later when he stabs that woman at Cardati's, it describes her as having one eye staring at him. So it's just these constant moments with shivers if you've read this book before and are thinking about this with him especially the moment where he's like it'd be nice to get out of this with both my eyes (laughs) where Abercrombie is just throwing us tons of hints about what's coming for Shivers and And it pays off in brutal fashion here. Right. It reminds me of going back and rereading First Law and seeing all the chin
0: moments, which is all. I mean, it's a little more obvious, which is, I mean, obvious to someone reading for the second time where he's like, he has the perfect chin. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) oh, I know where this is going. But yeah, that's interesting. That's That's a good catch. And it's not to surprising at all. It's very much his uh, Abercrombie style. <laughs> he can't help himself yeah. sometimes. And it's He's fun always on the reread.
1: using yeah. one eye to wink at the audience.
0: Oh, there you go. The reader. And anyway. we get this amazing line because, again, we're talking about these vulnerable moments. And Shivers gets his plenty, too. Both when he was, like, confessing during the torture, which we know to expect from when Glockta was going through all the different stages that someone getting tortured goes through. And and um, I remember where it's like, oh, where Glockta admits to being like, I was crying and blubbering and admitting everything, and I did all those things, and it didn't really matter, and then that kind of repeats itself with shivers, but then we get the line, should have been you, while he's recovering yeah. at night, for, uh, while he's in agony over his eye, the severe burns and the, just a the, man's uh, pain I imagine he must be in while recovering. He's smoking the husk pipe, he's barely conscious throughout most of it, but should have been you,
1: very clearly stated in these scenes. And it's that line and the guilt that it makes Monza feel that makes her unable to look at Shivers from that point on and, and ruins their romantic relationship, not the physical damage of the eye. And I think it's probably hard for Shivers to differentiate between the two. He's going through quite a bit from this point of the novel on. Uh, But yeah, there is just no coming back from that for those two. And that relationship is all downhill from here. Very
0: true. One of the moments, though, that I do like in... In these scenes, we're talking about revenge and all that, and the satisfaction yeah. you get from revenge. There's these moments with who who is the woman that interrogated Shivers and essentially mm-hmm. poked his eye out, where they're preparing for the mission, and uh, Langrear and Monza are talking to each other about the mission. And uh, I forget the line, but he says she says something about, um, oh, you know, it was no it was nothing personal it's just something that happened this that and the other and then <laughs> shivers just walks up directly to her doesn't break his stride and just cold-blooded murders her and it's like oh that is yeah. you know nothing personal <laughs> and, and it's just it's just a funny moment and it, and it it highlights a turning point for shivers Where you're
1: like, okay, this
0: man is changed, (laughs) like irreparably. Yeah,
1: (laughs) a a dark humor moment, I would say. And I don't know, you feel for him because Shivers starts out this, at least claims to be optimist, and he is trying, I do... I do get the sense that he's at least convincing himself that he's making efforts and he does do a couple nice things at the beginning and they're all, you know, all the good deeds Shiver does, Shivers does at the beginning go punished as is typical and he ends up sliding back. And then this is every last bit of the, I don't know if excuse is the right word, but like every last bit of the reason he needs to just... I guess, fall victim to his baser instincts, Charles, and go full murder hobo, as they call it in the D&D community. (laughs) Like, (laughs) just uh, kill anyone or anything that gets in his way. And uh, that's pretty much what we're dealing with, with Shivers for the rest of this novel. Just no qualms about killing whoever.
0: Right, right. And it's, it's this casual, cold behavior that Shivers is starting to exhibit now that will kind of carry him through this whole book, and his perspective has completely changed, and it will be interesting to talk more about that as we get more scenes with him, Um, but first, uh, we have our revenge on, on Genmark, and this is an interesting uh, death scene all of the deaths on Monza's course for vengeance are interesting <laughs> but this one is unique in that it's kind of like accidental and coincidental and convenient because Genmark is he stabs Casca he's toying with Monza and mm. then he's just crushed by a statue
1: <laughs> yeah and can we also give credit to Casca for coming in for the save there with Monza and yes. Another moment. Yeah. Another moment where Casca, for all his bluster about selfishness, shows that deep down he does care about Monza and helps her. And I think without him, you know, it's not like. It's classic Abercrombie because it's not like Casca rediscovers all his greatness from his prime and is able to defeat the great Genmark in a duel. But it is that he's able to at least add another variable to the equation that gives the chance for this just freak accident to result in Genmark dying. So, yeah, props to Casca and... Yeah, Casca also
0: drops some done. great lines in this. Yeah, Genmark done. Casca is on the ground, bleeding out of his guts. And I love when Casca and Manza are talking and Casca goes, forgive me. Manza goes, I thought I was the one betrayed you. Casca says, what does it matter now? Treachery is mm. commonplace. Forgiveness is rare. I'd rather oh. go without any debts. And then he goes, except all the money I owe in Austria and Adjua <laughs> and Dagaska. <laughs> Let's say no debts to you anyway and leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> Which is Koska. such an honest Casca moment. And I love this idea treachery is commonplace, forgiveness is rare. And that's. Can, can you think of anything more true to Casca's character than that?
1: <laughs> no. And that's. I'm just. I so adore Casca by the end of this novel, not just for the normal reasons I you, that I think in the first law trilogy he shows up with, which is just being funny and the banter and the witticisms. It's like he, he brings in this one a level of wisdom and insight that is very rare among... I think like a lot of the wisdom and insight that is spouted in the first law is like implicit like the reader's supposed to take it away from the mistakes of the characters and the like ways the characters are wrong like I think that's something that Abercrombie does deliberately but I feel like he speaks more directly through Casca in a lot of ways and this is one of those moments where Mm -hmm. I actually think this is you know I don't know I don't know Joe Abercrombie but I get the sense that a lot of Casca's lines are or how Joe Abercrombie actually feels. Cause I don't think he himself is, it's just like this. <laughs> and there's awful, some of them are like, there, he has this part it, to him y- too.
0: Yeah, yeah. You have to give it to Casca. These are some of the most hopeful and positive yeah. themes of all of first law. Like so much of it we get is like, Oh, the senselessness of violence, no good deed goes unpunished, this error uh, to power and to authority and, and to government. But in these moments, it's like, oh, forgiveness is rare. It's like, oh, that's actually one of the more glowing things we get out of this Grimdark novel. And it comes from Casca. So I think that's how he he stands out for me as as well.
1: Yeah. And Abercrombie has recently been saying he doesn't love the Grimdark label, actually, even though obviously he's Lord Grimdark himself. But that's. It's like part of his brand is Twitter handle and all this kind of stuff. So he's kind of entangled with it in a way where I think he feels it's pretty hard to remove himself. Mm-hmm. But he he doesn't love referring to his own work as grimdark nowadays. Because I think a lot of how Abercrombie seems to think from, from my read of his work is like he's making all these points about the senselessness and pointlessness of violence because he himself thinks it's so ridiculous that people are like killing each other that war happens and that it's all just silly. I mean, silly kind of underplays it. It's like a euphemism is horrible and pointless. And I-, I really think that's, that's how Abercrombie sees all of this. And it comes through this more like cynical lens because people are doing this in the real world and they're doing it in his fantasy novels. And he's kind of, I guess lambasting it.
0: Right. Right. And it's it's something to consider as we go through these books of like um you know what is the like how much is it grim dark and how much is it something else and it's i i can see that from abercrombie trying to break out of that mold because it it sets too many expectations and sells some of the other themes short in, in, in these books and I can, I can appreciate that. And, you know, it's, it's revealed in some of these background, just to get back to the Monza coska relationship, it's, um, and and it's, it's, I don't know, to me, it's, it's such a interesting relationship because of this, Mm -hmm. uh, there, they were, as it gets, we get more backstory, we realize more and more that they kind of always were. Like honest and faithful to each other, you you realize, you know. I think right after this scene, you get the flashback as you get into Perante, where it's that that moment where Casca where Manza quote betrays Casca, which um, yeah, where they have all these phony wars and they just get paid to fake fight each other, but then mm-hmm. you know Benna encourages.
1: Um, a real charge
0: onto Casca's well men. encourages
1: is is being too generous to Benna <laughs> Benna manipulates everything behind the scenes where Monza's in a position where it's all set up for her to betray Casca Orso was already in on it everyone knows and she'd have to stand up to everyone including Duke Orso her brother all the other commanders of the Thousand Swords and it just was a very very big ask for her to do that Mm -hmm. when benna ben had pulled all the strings already and i mean she could have said no but then it would have been someone else and not her and it's just yeah we'll get more into the like all these benna reveals but i'll say yeah like you're saying charles it's you know Monza. yes she betrayed casca but there's it's a lot more complex than that and it's the fault lies with her least of anyone who was part of that betrayal, though some does lie with her.
0: Certainly. And it's, again, another one of these things that, you know, Ben is not a great person and is constantly playing Monza's hand. And yes. all of the, like, all of these, you know, hardened, bloodthirsty, merciless actions that are stuck with Monza's reputation – were very much influenced, if not instigated, by Benna. So it's a it's, Yeah. And we get more and more of these reveals as we go on. So what Abercrombie's allowing us to do is buy into Monza as this person and then kind of relate to her once we get more of her backstory. It's kind of an interesting way to go about it. But I appreciate it because it allows us to buy into Monza as, you know, the Butcher of Caprile and and all these other things, and then you see, oh, actually, she was kind of conflicted about it. Didn't really want to do it. Uh, those kinds of things, but she did go along with it in the end to, to protect her um, authority, and to not seem like a a weak leader. <laughs> and a lot of times, to 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 stay on the same side as Benna. You know, she's not gonna. She's never gonna go against him. So, really interesting reveals and the more we get as this book progresses the more interesting and complicated as you said this story becomes so with genmark crushed by a statue Mm -hmm. manza meets with duke rogant and who is there but ishri one of kalul's Gurkish eaters we we get the Gurkish into the fray here and uh yeah, it, it's as we know from the First Law trilogy, so much is dictated by um, Kalul and Baez. And now we kind of see a little bit of them, a little more of them, and how they're playing the sides. And this is why, you know, we always recommend, yes, Best of Cold is a standalone, but by reading the First Law trilogy first, you get the sense of, like, oh, we're seeing like the others, like, this is a team of people who are being influenced by. Um, by uh
1: cool. now
0: and it's, it just adds a little bit of, of fun to the to the background here
1: yeah yeah and we've also got shanked in the background of all of this who it's kind of slowly being revealed if you've already read the first law trilogy and you're reading this now it's being hinted at and then eventually revealed that shanked was an apprentice of bias mm-hmm. so it's, and before then it was revealed the, yeah. that he
0: was an eater and cause there was that whole scene where he killed all yes, these people yes. and then like cut the filet and he's like, Oh, how could anyone eat rare meat? That's so, you know, disgusting. <laughs> it's like, as he's butchering a right. human being, which we know it's not just a cannibal. So he's is sulfur. So right. is your sulfur. Yep. Yep. And so,
1: you know, so it's like you, you get the sense it's the slow reveal. So they can do that whole like shanked, t- shanked actually was trying to not kill monza like thing at the end but yeah it's interesting to see those forces at play in the background i wonder what it's like reading best serve cold without any of that i'm sure it still works because people recommend it as a standalone but i guess you're missing out on like exactly what's going yeah, on? Yeah, you probably the just scenes. kind of
0: accept certain things. Like, oh, that's weird that he eats people, <laughs> and then it's like, yeah. oh, he's an eater, and then you're like, what's an eater? You know, I don't think they explain right? what eaters are in this book. Not really. So you have to be like, what's an eater? And you're like, oh, it's a it's a thing in the magic system in this world. Got it. It doesn't take away from their main story here or any of the themes no. or anything like that. So you can get almost ninety percent of the way there, but there are these this fun ten percent of like, oh all yeah. these people like get i mean the jazal moment like that just you could read it without knowing who jazal is but getting his whole pov throughout the first law trilogy and then seeing him in these moments it's like come on you get vitari you get carla den eider you get mentions of the cripple like you know all, all these fun these fun easter egg things in here which aren't necess- necessary for the plot but it makes it worth reading the first law trilogy first for sure that's just my thing about it but to get back to the plot here friendly has seen battle he's seen war and he is just not cool with it he's basically he's a man of order he's a man of numbers and his when he witnessed battle it was just pure chaos and it actually um exactly it it, it freaked him out you know It, it he caused it, caused him to almost have like a nervous breakdown, and he's like, I'm done with this. And I haven't heard from uh, what's his name, uh, in a while, his boss, um, who was killed by Shanked. And when oh, yeah, 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 um, his name, I have it in okay. our notes here. Well, uh, keep going, I'll find it, but anyway, yeah, so he was killed by Shanked, and then so friendly was like i haven't heard anything Oh, sajam he's like oh i haven't heard anything from sajam in a while yeah. so and i really don't enjoy
1: who's dead by
0: the way at this point right if killed i by
1: or at least will be soon because shanked
0: yeah yeah shanked had already killed him at this by this yeah. point and sajam is like i always knew she'd be the death of me like that kind of that Monza would be the death of yeah. me and so uh he was not wrong and so yeah so Morvir decides to take over the cooking and there's this fun scene where he makes an honest attempt to uh connect with everyone and do everyone a favor which is uncharacteristic of Morvir. he's you know a pretty selfish guy and he's like oh, i'll make a nice dinner for everybody and no one touches it because he's a poisoner and he's poisoned them in the past, except for Shiver. Shiver's just like, oh, who cares anymore? I'm sorry, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of another funny hint into Shiver's new character. I'd say it's almost like, well, nothing left to lose. Gonna happen, nothing left to lose. That's exactly right. And uh, the soup gets spilled. And Morvir gets embarrassed. It's just a funny little a little moment where it's like the kind of the last attempt Morvir makes to do good.
1: Yeah, and it's funny seeing Morvir just completely Unable to understand why people wouldn't want to eat his food. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, Morbius. Seriously? Yeah, I do like all the so Poisoner
0: hard? shenanigans that go on like throughout the whole book. All right. So in our next scene here, Shiver is going to Faithful Carpi in what seems to be his attempt to, his story is that he's here to betray Monza. And for some reason, uh, Faithful Carpi buys into that. I mean, Shivers plays a very convincing role. And we know that this is kind of parallels what actually happens later in the book when Shivers actually yeah. does betray Monza. But for now, it is a ruse. And meanwhile, Morveer is contemplating betraying Manza, which this has been built up for a while. Manza's kind of been whispering into Day's ear, Day's Morvir's assistant. And it's finally the moment has come where Morvir's like, hmm, maybe I should betray Manza instead. And Morvier the whole and uh, Manza was like, look out, Day, because the minute he tries to betray me, he's going to pin it on you. So Day is shocked and attempts to kill Morvir.
1: Yes, she does. Yeah, and it's funny because, in Morvir's completely unreliable point of view, we do have him over and over again talking about how much he adores Day and would, and he's, uh, yeah, and he's also like, I can never let her know how much I admire her, all this kind of stuff, and then, when he is thinking in the moment of a scapegoat, he's gravitating a lot more toward shivers and things like that. But it's already implanted in Day's head that's going to be her, and yeah, she has a reaction to it of trying to take him down. And uh, we and it, what's interesting is we do get later a reveal from Morvier that he totally would have scapegoated Day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's a funny dry, you know black humor moment from. Java Abercrombie there but in this moment Day tries to take down Morvir and With the she, king of poisons the king of poisons yes and <laughs>
0: which is just classic. water and then Morvir's like but I poisoned you and only I have the antidote and then the antidote was actually a poison it was like all, yeah. this, all these kooky poisoner shenanigans
1: <laughs> yeah and it's uh, you know that's how Day ends up going down and you hate to see it. And, and then it's like that Eric Andre meme where
0: it's like he, Eric Andre shoots Hannibal Burst. It's like, oh my God. Well, how could they have done this? Where Morvir is like, how could they have done this? It's, the, it's it's so tragic that this happened. Meanwhile, it's like you murdered her, dude. <laughs> you you got a little insecure that she tried to kill you and then uh, you better a oh. boatload of poison. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have this moment where if Morvir was not Morvir, it seems like they're going to have maybe a heart-to-heart, and it's going to be like, okay, clearly Monza turned us against each other, I was never going to scapegoat you, and they could have talked it out, but Morvir is Morvir, and once you betray Morvir, you don't ever get back in his good graces. He does not Mm -hmm. forgive, and he does not forget, and... Uh, we won't forget you, Day. No, no, nope, we won't forget sweet, <laughs> hungry Day. <laughs> God, I would have thought. <laughs> I, I guess it was like a red herring, or maybe it was just a character thing. When I saw the poisoner's assistant is someone who's eating all the time, and they're always and more viewers are always like, "Oh, like most poisoners die by their own agents." I'm like, she's gonna go down. The first time I read it, I was like, she's gonna go down by eating something poisonous, but it ended up being. I don't know if it was intentionally a red herring from Abercrombie, but it's not how she goes down. That's true. I think it's just like
0: that character quirk is kind of funny because you would think that a poisoner would be a little more judicious about what they decide to eat and when they decide to eat but they just like lackadaisley is always munching on something and yeah you would think that it would just be super easy to poison some food that's nearby and let they just eat it but instead we get all of these shenanigans where it's like oh I poisoned you that's not a real poison I poisoned you and here's the antidote oh the antidote's the poison in. and then like Morvier is just lamenting over the body for like a long period of time he's like oh how could this be it's so sad and then like you know the body relieves itself Day's body relieves itself is like oh ew gross <laughs> you know and then he's like kicks her yeah. body I think for a while yeah. like he gets mad at her he goes through these gauntlets of emotions and you're like oh this man is
1: unhinged <laughs> he's, he's not all yes. there <laughs> there's he is not all there, and he is all out of there as soon as he can once the the battle really starts raging. And that's right. That's the last we see of him as a part of this merry fellowship. <laughs> that's right. He's like, oh, God.
0: Boy, I gotta get out of here. The battle's getting a little too hot for his taste. You know Morvir prefers to be skulking around in the background more so than in the thick of the action. So he's gone. Meanwhile, we've got mercenaries versus Osprey soldiers. And in the chaos of battle, Manza is seeking out Faithful Carpi. And this is when we get this moment where he, he runs down Faithful Carpi with the horse and they're having this dialogue in the water and, you know, Faithful Carpe is doing this thing which is like, I was Faithful. I was, you know, yeah. I followed Casca. I followed you. And then I followed Orzo. And then there's this reveal that Orzo gave the same speech to Faithful that he did to Monza, which is like, he, he said that, you know, the old way is out and that there needs to be a new he, ruler and I was fit for the job and all of that. And Monza actually feels kind of regretful in these moments. It's kind of interesting. She goes to, again, she's contemplating like sparing his life. But before she could make that decision, his his like his coat, his scarf, whatever it is, it gets caught in a water wheel. <laughs> and he goes yeah. under the water, gets drowned, and then comes back up and is like run through this water wheel. It's very elaborate and violent death.
1: Well, I would say she does make the decision, though, Charles. She, she does tries to save him. And she does try to save him, and she pulls and and it wasn't to be. And it is kind of this moment where she knows that it's her fault that he was even in that situation to begin with. But you're right. She, as someone who had been in a very similar situation and hadn't been able to say no, was able to see herself in him and feel empathy, and she tried. And I really do think that's... That's the thing about Monza, and we'll get into this more when we do a character profile with her, but I think you see more and more this... Uh, th- there's a quote I can pull, uh, which she says sarcastically, but I think is true. Where I think she says it to shivers. Maybe beneath this harsh yet beautiful shell, I'm really still a soft-hearted farmer's daughter, only mm-hmm. wanting to do good. Mm-hmm. And when push comes to shove, she kind of... Even the vengeance stuff, besides like Gaba, and when she's like drugged out with Arya and things like that, a lot of it she, I think like more times than not, not that I've done the math, but more times than not she's regretting it already while she's doing it or trying to stop it um we'll get to the moment with with shivers uh following through and things like that too so <laughs> right yes yeah. we will she's, but for now we she's yeah, good-hearted she's, somewhere
0: she, underneath all that and she's we'll conflicted for sure which is more than we can say about a lot of these characters uh, she's at least contemplating doing good sometimes sometimes her hand is played sometimes destiny gets in the way and with faithful carpi you know he he claimed to be loyal and it's not until later on in this book that we realize the extent to which like he was i mean we know for the most part how loyal he was but i think the reveal that benna was trying to overthrow orso uh plays a huge role in this too so you I mean, you kind of feel yeah. bad for faithful, and he gets a pretty spectacular, I guess, for lack of a better word, death here that's this bizarre water memorable yeah memorable for certain and if this was ever made into a movie that would certainly be an interesting scene to see to take away from this movie of like oh the water wheel scene dude that was extra i figure like tarantino where it's gratuitous and it's violence but it's also entertaining at the same time that's like a really strong vibe that i get from this where it's like spectacularly like gory and and Horrific, but it's somehow entertaining as well, and that's kind of the fine line that this book uh, achieves every once in a while. So, so long, faithful Carpy. There's only a few people left now. As yeah, uh, you know, uh, and then so we have Casca and Friendly. Are they? So actually, no, no, no. Here, here's what I don't. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because Manza marches oh. to the thousand swords, and she's like, "Well, yeah, faithful's gone." It's now time for me to take my rightful place and return to the throne. And before she can sit in the chair, who returns, Dylan? Who returns to us in a moment of, I guess, surprise? Glory, would
1: you say? Fame? Fortune? (laughs) Yeah, definitely fame. (laughs) Definitely a famed soldier of fortune who gets in there and there's this awesome buildup toward it where Monza comes back in and they're like, she's like, yeah, I feel like you might want to go to a new leadership or whatever. And they're like, well, we were thinking someone who like a, a maybe an old leader. And she's like, this is going even better than I could have imagined. Yeah. And they were going just even older and further yeah. back than her because they'd already gone back to Casca. And the thing with Casca is that the Thousand Swords are mercenaries and no one has d- done a better job of getting them that beautiful ratio they're looking for of minimal fighting to maximum pay yes. than casca it's like because she's like who's made you richer than <laughs> than me <laughs> and it's like well casca over here can <laughs> make us i can't remember if he would made them richer or not but at least the close enough they weren't actually
0: fighting which was the difference they're not they fighting. Don't actually yes the irony here is, is that mercenaries the number one thing they don't want to do is fight, even though that's technically their job. They're soldiers for hire. They would much prefer not to go to to war and to fight in battles. And no one understands that and advocates (laughs) for that more than Nicomoke Asuka, famed soldier of fortune. And I remember the first time I read this book, I was like, I'll believe it when I see the body. You know, I just couldn't... Fully oh, believe yeah. that Costco was gone. I'm like this roguish character. He's like, go on without me. Go on without me. I'll be like, I, it was great just to know you. I was like, yeah, okay, Costco. I'll believe it when I see the body. And and so yeah, he's he's back. There's A welcome face, in my opinion. I was happy to see him return and to sit at the head of the thousand swords. Well, that and pledging his allegiance to Orso, of all people. Well, that was just quite the twist. And yet another zigzag in this revenge plot of who's getting revenge against whom and how, when, mm. what and this is like, is Casca getting revenge on Manza now? Like This is how it's all being built up.
1: <laughs> yeah. For sure. And there is that moment, Charles, if for the audiobook listeners, when you get Friendly leaving and he runs into an old face that he remembers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you get the just... Unmistakable Costca voice yeah. from Stephen the Basie audiobook in that does moment. betray and that. Yes, that scene. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. this was not hard the
0: intention to, of the books to give away that it's Costca. but, uh, but yeah, Stephen Spacey voice, puts on yeah. the Costca voice, and you're like, oh, this is obviously Casca, But I mean, yeah. I had already read the book once before, so it was what it was. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just I I remember that was kind of a funny audiobook moment
1: yeah I've bounced around in my reads from doing physical and doing audio and it's funny the different experience you get when you do audio where you're like oh that's not a twist now it's just because Pacey's voices are so distinct for each character in Casca especially so yeah but it's fun to get Casca back in the fray we didn't want to see him go so easy and 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 then we get a lot more yes he's
0: he's pledged allegiance to (laughs) Orson Well, we'll get there because now
1: the line yeah. is drawn in the They'll. sand here.
0: We have Casca and Orso, <laughs> and we have Monza and the Grand Duke Rogan. Now, Monza's dining with Rogan. It seems like the end is inevitable. It's a grim, dire situation juxtaposed against these moments with. Casca, where you have Colonel, um, how do you say his name? Rig, rigrat? <laughs> Colonel Rigger, Rigrat? <laughs> sure. Like. Anyway. It doesn't sound right, but sure. <laughs> it does not sound right at all, but it's R I G R A T? Anyway. Regret. Regret, sure. Regret? And, and sure. Rugrat? And. <laughs> <laughs> <Nope>. and uh <laughs> and he's like we need to charge right now on the front lines and Costco's like whoa 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 like these men have done enough fighting for one day we need to hold out and we will surge in the charge in the hour of glory you know we have our team's morale to think about you know he's he's getting like you know as pompous as he's ever been he's full-blown Costca in, in his leadership role so it's, it's funny to see those moments and it all turns out to be this grand ruse that Casca has taken money from the Gurkish to not attack, which is like such a Casca thing to do. He, he yep. gets paid tons of money to do nothing. And it's a stroke the dream of brilliant, it's a dream for Casca and for his merry band of mercenaries and he also kills one of his captains and friendly, just you know, he just sees what's going on <laughs> and does his best to contribute by killing a regret, regra, I don't know. And uh, Casca steps out of the tent and he's like, Oh, that brave, brave Captain Andiche or whatever his name is. He saved Andish. And-ish. He saved my life, <laughs> and I owe well, he everything goes- to him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, He keeps going after. So he goes through this process of killing each of them. And for the first two, I think both times he's like, my fault, my fault. It's like all oh, my fault like and i just love Casca hamming it up like that he actually hams it up so much that the final time the guys onto him already but well yeah, we'll get around
0: yeah to he hams yeah. it up a bit too it's like come much. on like,
1: he wasn't covering his tracks too. i think he's having too much fun
0: with it you know or it's yes. like he's yeah. he's such a brave valiant man we must honor his memory like all these other things and you're like okay Casca. like you can only get away with that for so long
1: so you have a well, rogue because he, he pins yeah. it he pins it on rigrad or whatever yeah. like colonel because he's like if i had not taken that money to not attack then it would be like he would still be alive and here with me and it's like eh. <laughs> i just love Costco. <laughs> like taking the blame for it but in a way that's like He's still a hero. It's just vintage because it's like, I know I saved many, many lives today, but his could not be one of them. So it's my fault. It's just vintage. I
0: blame myself. You know, it's like, yeah, you should because you stabbed him (laughs) in cold blood. And it's just one of those amazing moments. And, you know, Rogan is beside himself. He was able to use Gurkish gold to buy off the Thousand Swords. And he just, but he also did a whole lot of nothing to achieve success as well he let all his allies do all the fighting while he was retreating until he became the most powerful one but then he started losing and then he got in bed with the Gurkish and it, it paid off and you get this funny moment when like casca co- and manza actually finally talked to each other after this twist was revealed or casca's like i gave my life for you <laughs> And Monza's like, you mm-hmm. didn't effing die. And Cosmo goes, well, <laughs> rumors of my death are often exaggerated, <laughs> wishful thinking on the part of my many enemies. And Monza goes, I'm beginning to know how they feel. So he's yeah. like, it's and kind he of- dropped
1: that line, like him and Monza <laughs> dropped that line together in the big fight, yeah. too, where it's like, uh, he he delivers the first part of it. He's like wishful thinking and Monza finishes it where she's like on the part of his many enemies. So it's like this epic moment. And in classic Abercrombie fashion, he gives us the epic moment. And then he's like, no, like, why would that be the last moment? (laughs) Like, Life it doesn't always work out that way with the <laughs> yeah. climax, and then the, f- f- you know, then the character dies an epic death. Sometimes they just yeah. kick around and go back to drinking later. Yeah, and, and total Koska
0: embellishment to be like, I gave my life yes. for you. I sacrificed myself. Yes. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you did. So it's just like a really funny, funny <laughs> scene there that I always appreciated. So this battle was very intense. You know, Monza was in the charge in the thick of it. Same with Shivers, and like this battle had everyone kind of shaken. And we get this really interesting, I say interesting, love scene between what we think is Monza and Shivers. And then it's like this switcheroo in the narrative, in the prose, that it's actually Monza and Rogant, and Shivers and Carla Dan Ider. And this was a scene that honestly. I found to be a bit confusing. I'm just going to come out there and be honest with it. Like, the way it was delivered, I was like, wait, what's happening? To who? To when? And I had to, like, think about it for a second. I, I don't know. This was, like, the one part that just, like, I just got to be honest, it didn't quite work for me, and I thought it was a bit yeah. complicated. I get the intent of it. Like, we want to think that Monza and Shivers are back together, and it's this gut-wrenching twist that they couldn't be further apart. But, uh, it, it was a tricky thing to try and do in the narrative by having us believe it and then like very slowly strip away the like adding more details to make us realize that wasn't the case like and then the audiobook I, I just thought I'd skip something I was like wait what's happening well, the, the, who's doing what The who I'm so confused and uh, it's just a just Abercrombie having a fun twist on our expectations subverting our our assumptions you know that I said at the S word
1: <laughs> yes the one we're allowed to say on our clean podcast so i think that you know the the thing about it being confusing i don't think confusing is necessarily a sign that the the scene didn't deliver on its intention like i think it is supposed to be somewhat confusing but i'll say it also doesn't the scene doesn't particularly work for me either uh for mm-hmm. i would say different reasons not that it was confusing but that it just like i guess at this point i I'm not invested in the Monza and Shivers relationship. Right. So if it's like trying to play on my emotions of like, but I want Shivers and Monza to be together, it's like, it's, I don't know, it didn't like, pull the rug out from under me which i think is what it's supposed to do here so a rare miss for both of us in terms of our taste very rare uh, of what we were looking for from joe abercrombie because we're usually all on board but just yeah didn't didn't work for us here but you know in a giant or i don't know if it's a giant book in a sizable book Mm -hmm. uh it's uh normal to have at least one moment that doesn't work for you and i'm, yeah, I'm happy yeah. to keep rolling toward a lot of the moments i did
0: i agree i agree and one of those moments that did is when casca has friendly deliver count foscar to manza count foscar remember was the one yeah. that you know looked up to benna and Monza actually had a had fond feelings and this kind of this innocent nature yeah. around foscar and and Mons is actually reluctant to kill Foskar. And we've seen this reluctance now <laughs> for Faithful as well. Mm-hmm. And for the squatters at her safe house. And yeah. Mons is really not this kind of... You know, she's trying to make these decisions. But who
1: steps in without missing a beat? Good old shivers. <laughs> and it's a brutal scene that almost harkens to me back to when... Logan Nine Fingers just smashed Beth Odds' head in. Yes. It's like just one of these brutally violent, I have given way to this way of being, like this violent way of being, smash this person's head in when there's they're at my mercy. And it is one of those moments that you like to point out a lot there, Charles, where it's like in a book that, is so funny sometimes and so entertaining and even silly at times than just this like brutal violence that's juxtaposed against it. And it's always stuck, stuck with me for being that, especially because it happens to this guy who's an innocent. Yeah. And Monza was willing to forgive him, I believe. And yeah. And
0: Shivers is like, that's not what we're here to do. Like you started us down this path of vengeance and, and, to stop now, like no half measures here. Caution first always. <laughs> not not what he said, but <laughs> Well that yeah, I don't know if he <laughs> But definitely of that as like caution. This. No, he didn't. But it's basically like that's what we're here to do, right? Vengeance and such. <laughs> it's like that's just what we're here yeah. for. It does hearken to Beth Odd and Yeah, it's just another one of these shocking moments of violence where it's like when you decide to seek vengeance, so like this is the kind of reaction you need to be comfortable with expecting you know it's like you can't like shy away from these moments when you say you're going to kill all these people and and get those wheels in motion this is the result
1: yeah and i think this is more and more what we're getting to at this point in the novel is what I, i think it's i'm starting to build toward what i think the novel's really about i know i teased in part one that i i don't really think it's about revenge and this is showing up as Monza trying to be the Butcher of Caprile, the Snake of Talens, trying to be the person that everyone thinks that she is and just struggling with it because that's not who she actually is. And more and more as we get toward these people who aren't just vile people, mm-hmm. we are dealing with Monza being like, is this something that I've ever actually wanted, is vengeance? That's Is that me? Because this is something that, of course, the, the Snake of Talens would want if they were thrown out a window. But is it something that I, Monza, the actual person behind that story, that myth, would want here? And she's, I think at this point, basically realized with Foscar. No, I wouldn't want that. But <laughs> she's now responsible for what happened to Shivers and what and the path that she set them out on. So that's something she'll have to continue to to grapple with and, and we'll, we'll keep going and talk more about where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, but let's juxtapose
0: that against Shivers' character arc. This was someone sure. who was trying to be a better man at the beginning and has now gone Full, like merciless right. killing machine and I, there's a scene that happens right around here where Carla Den Eider is like you're surprisingly blunt and Shivers is like no nah, I'm about as blunt as you'd expect for a one-eyed killer where he's just like this is mm-hmm. just who I am now he's got kind of like his character arc is almost the opposite of Manza's and that's kind of how they continue to grow apart where hmm. Shivers is living up to this merciless butcher like character and Manzo's looking for more and is trying to distance herself from it. So, I, and and just how they how revenge has gotten them all wrapped up in this character growth is so interesting. It's like the similar revenge arcs but that have affected them in exactly the opposite ways and to the point where revenge becomes this meaningless thing. It's really quite uh, interesting like this is what to me makes abercrombie like so brilliant he's he's thought about these things he's hit them from so many angles and to the point where it all just comes down to like eh, it's like the (laughs) the chaos of life essentially it's like some of these things that we put so much meaning behind just start to unravel when you you try and bring sense to it and it's just the like the absurdity sometimes of violence and and life it's fun
1: Yeah, that word fun again, Charles, (laughs) after the absurdity of violence in life. But I'll say that I, I agree. I think it's really well said all these things about Abercrombie and how he views these things, because I think so much of how Abercrombie likes to write is about, he writes stories about how people tell themselves stories of who they're trying to be in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think this is another one of them. And Oftentimes where they miss some of the very pragmatic, just like simple truths that could be there and we're in what we think is a revenge story and we're with Monza as someone who thinks she should want revenge and then we get these lines from people like Casca again dropping wisdom saying things like you could forget about revenge, you could compromise, you could be merciful and he, he says that to Monza at one point, and it's like brushed off by her. And it's also easily brushed off by the reader because it's like, what do you mean? I'm reading a revenge story called Best Served Cold. Of course, she's going to go get revenge. But it's like, no, like, Casca's right. Like, theoretically, you could just stop, not kill anyone. Yeah, you know, I would, would I would say this is it. most
0: definitely a story about revenge, but the like the thesis is what you're saying is that there's like the pursuit of revenge is not like the is the not the experience I'm trying to convey in this work. He's almost trying to convey like oh everyone has their own reasons in their head for getting revenge and the results are, you know, chaotic almost and meaningless almost and it and it's these uh attempts, you know, like casca's trying to get through that have the real meaning so i would say it is absolutely about revenge it's just the end result in abercrombie fashion has nothing to do with revenge it's like, it's revenge is not the focus
1: we're I, having here i think the story is about acceptance of your identity and those around you and i'll 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 tell you more as we keep going and revenge is the the tool with which Abercrombie tells that story yes 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 I would agree it's through
0: revenge that we the pursuit of revenge that we actually reveal these these stories that we tell ourselves versus the people that we are versus the people we're trying to be and all of that and the fact that you would you know put it under this tight thing of oh I want revenge it's like, do eh, you, though? It's, it's it's like it's not that simple. It's also this idea about yourself that you have built up in your head, like you're saying. And that, to me, is what is
1: most interesting about Pester of Gold*. It's, it's, it's well said. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll have, I'll have more to say on it, too, as we keep rolling. Because I'm excited when we get to, like, the final moments when... Right, right, this, right. I think so,
0: Manza's now crowned the Grand Duchess of Talons, and the people are loving her. And we are also basically things are winding down and we are laying siege to Orzo's fortress in Fontizarmo and Casca is leading this tunnel digging Gurkish gunpowder uh, expedition while the crowning is is going on. and then you also, in this third <laughs> plot line, you have Morvir, who is now recruited yeah. by Orso to get revenge on Mansa. So Morvir has completely switched sides, and he's attempted to poison all of these people on Orso's list very unsuccessfully. You can see like the story he's telling about himself starting to unravel here. He's had moments of incompetence sprinkled throughout this whole book but then he does have the stroke of brilliance to poison the crown like this opportunity lies at his feet they literally drop the crown right in front of where he was hiding and leave and it's (laughs) actually quite a fun brilliant little device here where he poisons the crown and part of the ceremony is all of the like you know dukes and all of these great leaders in to show their support to to now uh, King uh King uh what's his name? Rogant. Rogant that they all put simultaneously, they put the crown on his head. So they all
1: end up getting poisoned, except for Monza, right, Dylan? Because she's wearing a glove. That's so, right. right. Was a gober gaba who stepped on her hand, I think. I believe. Uh, so, so saved saved her life. Yes. So, saved her. Yeah. Life. So she's still left. Looks awfully suspicious. And we get to that in that kind of final conference scene later. But yeah, Monza makes it. And then it's kind of this, this situation where Monza's the one ruler left. And she's kind of like, well, her and Orso. And we know where that's going.
0: That's right. Because
1: we have these
0: like funny scenes with Casca in in the tombs yeah. with Caesarea, another one of his generals or <laughs> captains i believe and he's yeah. he tries to kill Caesarea or something and fails and then they get into this crazy like scuffle romp thing and it ends with this <laughs> huge explosion that from the yeah. gürkish gunpowder and it describes like Cosca's like i just hear this ringing in my ears it's really bizarre cuz i guess they've never like heard an explosion like like had the heard an explosion before and it takes down the whole wall he does the same thing where he's like oh poor Caesarea he bravely tried to light the gunpowder and it got the best of him and then meanwhile this other captain is noticing that like his sword is missing and all these other things and is like dude are you for real right now like you can tell that he's not buying it the last captain is like yeah okay okay, Casca, that, that happened. And it's just another funny, you know, Casca goes real far into this whole like, oh, no, it's poor, poor Caesarea. <laughs> yeah. He was such a brave man. I loved him so much. His <laughs> sacrifice will never be forgotten. <laughs> you know? It's just absolute craziness. And it's it it, it it all comes to now that the gate is blown off, we are now doing this final... A siege of Orso's castle, and it's in this moment that Shivers actually betrays Monza in this revenge, I guess, for Monza's betrayal and for the eye situation. And mm-hmm. he doesn't really have like a great reason for it. He's like, I guess I'll just betray you now because that's what I want to do. Because you, you know, we've we've had a falling out, and it's all your fault, basically and you know he admits it's not a great reason i believe but he's still uh yeah still willing to do it which is a really interesting arc not what you'd expect from what was originally the like romantic couple you know
1: yeah and i will say that shivers has opportunities to finish Monza off that he'd doesn't take and at least what we get from the pros of it is like he wants her to be aware of what's going on and he wants her to like look him in the eyes like those kind of moments but he doesn't he he doesn't pull the trigger so to speak when he does have opportunities and then we know that friendly comes in for the save
0: Yes, friendly. Because Casca had his suspicions, like friendly. Don't let anything happen to to Tamanza. Right. So now, friendly intervenes, and they have it. They're pretty well matched. uh, Shivers and friendly. It's a fun battle that gets cut short. It gets cut short by Shank, who just kind of swats Shivers like a fly and sends him like flying into a wall or something. You know, it's, it was a lot. And he's like, what the heck was that? <laughs> just this eater force, <laughs> this eater power that was able to put an end to the fight.
1: Yeah. I mean, Shivers and Friendly are both extremely competent mortal warriors. And then mm. Shank comes in, total another power level, and it's just their play to him so he bursts through and he's he's a man on a on a revenge mission himself in a way so he's right uh, he just knocks shivers aside and, and continues we won't see on shivers again way. until yeah won't see shivers again until he's on what he thinks is death row that's right but before we get there we have our
0: morvere arc coming to an end and our you know <laughs> casca prime casca because I I really enjoy the scene. Casca's playing cards with yeah. Victus during the whole siege. <laughs> right, they're like their their part's done. They blew up the wall and they're playing cards and having a drink and and um, Victus is like. <laughs> There's this moment where Casca like was just a little bit too slow to the draw, and Victus whips out the crossbow and is like, "How dumb do you think I am, Casca? Like you gotta be kidding me with all this showboating." And Casca's <laughs> like, "Oh, this is unfortunate, <laughs> yeah. but because Morvir who." This whole time is like, oh, Casca's an alcoholic, he can never change, this, that, and the other thing. He's like, I'll poison the alcohol and this drunkard will die instantly. And what actually happens, Victus drinks the wine, gets poisoned, Mm. dies. Casca, it is revealed. The whole time was drinking out of the flask, casually tossed to him by Morvir, but he was drinking goat milk which was suggested to him yeah. way way back by duke salier because it was good for dig- indigestion or good for digestion or something like that and was like hmm, okay I, I remember that <laughs>
1: it's so funny <laughs> yeah it's a fantastic moment and for me this is a very fun reveal where yes it's because and he's like, I've been telling you this whole time that I was going to change my ways. Like, why wouldn't you believe me? And it's another <laughs> Casca, like like I said in part one, like the uh, under promise and overdeliver type thing where it's like he comes off as the kind of person who would never actually even temporarily quit. And we've got Morvier on this, like, just reveling in the what he feels is the irony of the situation of how Kask is going to die because of alcohol and it was poisoned. And Morvir, congratulations on his own. He genius. like jumps out and is like, "Aha!" Gets, yeah. <laughs>
0: like you have been yeah. poisoned by me, a grand poisoner, master master yeah. poisoner, Morvier. And he's like. No, actually. <laughs> yeah. I've been drinking goat milk this whole time and I love the goat. I, just, I forgot to mention the scene where like, you know, the captain for Orso representing Orso is trying to get uh, Costca to charge. And he's like, you need to charge now. They're waiting for you to, like, relieve them. And he's like, calm down, man. Take a look at my goat. And then it's like the goat was just, like, sitting there. And he's like, see how it's not relaxed. See how it's relaxed. Like, why can't you take a lesson from his book and and just relax? And then the captain doesn't even know how to respond and just walks away. So it's like these subtle moments that were weaved in of, like, like, why does Casca have a goat? It's like... These funny little quirks that turned out to be highly calculated for Casca to outmaneuver someone as conniving as Morvier is a funny little twist. And it's and he does it by being so honest and direct. Like, I'm just I told you I changed like I'm a changed man. (laughs) You didn't believe me. You got wrapped up in your own head and you died because of it.
1: Yeah, Casca such a master of deception that he knows that everyone's expectation that he will lie is the best, de- like telling the truth ends up being the best deception that he can give because that's the least believable thing is what Casca tells you. So yes. it's a pretty amazing moment and a great delivery on this Casca and Morvir interaction that's been happening throughout. Uh, I love this moment. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's a great moment. Fun reveal. I love the goat milk. So thanks to Casca's goat milk, uh, he is spared. Morvir is no more. And that leaves us free and clear for Manza to confront Orso. And it's in these moments that they both realize the truth that Benna had worked on a betrayal of Orso alone without Manza's knowledge. He was orchestrating this usurp of Orso, and we've been, like, after we finally had all of these flashbacks, it's like, oh, he would totally do that. This is someone that just stabbed a merchant to steal his gold. This is someone who, like, ordered the massacre of Caprile without telling Monza. Like, this is someone who time and time again has been willing to make these unsavory, selfish, violent decisions, and it's so part of his narrative now at this point that monza's like oh no Benna, how like what were you thinking you know this is i never wanted any of this and i think orso's realizing that monza never knew as well so they're both having this moment yeah. of like what <laughs> like we were both on the same page this whole time and it was stupid yeah. Benna's fault and he's the one that's dead and like but now we're in this irrevoc- irrevocable situation now and uh yeah shanked reveals shank enters the scene and orso's like oh you got it now shanked is here and then shanked is like actually i'm i'm here for manza so <laughs> poor orso no friends left and uh manza at least delivers a quick merciful death to orso and orso's like that's it and she's like yeah <laughs> Very unsatisfying end to what should be like this kill Bill moment of like, this is Bill. It's like, nope, it's a pretty simple, pretty quick. And just like that, her
1: quest for revenge is basically she killed everyone on her list. Unsatisfying for Monza, perhaps, but satisfying in the story that Joe Abercrombie is telling, which at this point, the idea of a... Of a kill of the main villain, if well, I think it's probably fair to call Orso a villain, but yeah, a kill of the main person she's been seeking after ends up feeling like almost tangential to the point by the end of it. Is it just makes sense in the story that Abercrombie's telling? Yes,
0: absolutely. And now we get, now that Orso's dead, we get every character individually. We get their plot lines all wrapped up as it comes to the end. Who should we start with first, Dylan?
1: Well, I guess we can go like Morvier is just an easy one to right. Like Morvir is an easy one to just crank out. Like he gets during that conference scene, yeah. he gets to be the scapegoat and Monza is like let's build up his reputation as much as possible and let's pretend that he really was at this unbelievable master poisoner and he's still at large to keep his myth alive yeah. and like death itself Morvir. and yeah so it's an interesting for a man who loved irony Morvir, yeah <laughs> gets this kind of ironic like larger than life lives forever type ending yeah. but he's Dead, dead so he doesn't get to see it right
0: and even vatari's like that's more than he deserves and he's like yeah but it's a convenient yeah. narrative for us now you know like so let's roll with it so in a way he kind of yeah. gets what he wanted and and that plot line gets wrapped up i'd say the other one we can do now but i think we'll have a lot more to say is friendly and Koska. Because sure. I love, love, love these final moments with Friendly and Costca. Friendly, of course, his one wish was to get permission to go back to... Uh, what's the name of the prison? It's not Solitude, is it? It's... Um, safety. safety. Safety, yes. So all he wants to do is go back to safety where everything is, has a routine. Mm-hmm. Everything is numbered and organized and... He can he just never felt more comfortable in a place. And they're like riding up to the gates of safety, and Costco's like, "Are you sure this is really what you want? Like we could work so well together. We could have all these great moments together and and he's like, this is yeah, this is what I want." And then they realize that safety is no more. There's no more conflict in Styria, and there's just the prison has been neglected and shut down.
1: Yeah, so Casca was—I I want to get more into the Casca-friendly relationship when we do our Casca character profile, Charles, so mm-hmm. we won't get too much into it now. But Casca was telling Friendly about, like, hey, you have what I lack, I, I have what you lack, we are both very lacking, but together we can be great, and he's trying to convince Friendly of all these things— and Friendly still wants to go back to safety. He's so proud of his... He has this letter that's like, to be in prison forever, signed by Monza. It was the only thing he asked from her. And, it, yeah, he's imprisoned until any point in which he wants to leave, which he's like, is never going to happen. And, yeah, he he doesn't get that chance, and he's going to end up hanging out with Casca anyway. So... It's it, it ends up being a not not what Friendly wanted, but pretty much his second favorite thing after safety was being with Casca and yeah. the Thousand Swords. So yeah, it's, it's you know, funny that he's pumped, pumped, like, "Oh, I hope the prison opens could be sometimes. Re-
0: reopens one day. You know, he's kind of like hoping for that." And Casca's like, it's yeah. okay, it's okay. And he has this great line, and, and Dylan, you're so good at pulling the quotes, I don't want to put pressure on you, but maybe you can find it, about Casca and change. Where, oh, yes. Where, do you have it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I, wanted to, I almost read it last episode. Um, the, so, oh, <laughs> he's, he's drinking again. He goes, change friendly, change is a funny thing. Sometimes men change for the better. Sometimes men change for the worse. And often... Very often, given time and opportunity, he waved his flask around for a moment, then shrugged. They change back. (laughs) And it's just brilliant. And I really think that's like, that's how Joe Abercrombie thinks of people. And that's another reason why I'm like, this is Casca ends up being a more direct, like Abercrombie conduit than most, because that's what Abercrombie's writing implies. It's like, yeah, sometimes people do change for the better. I think that... uh, this that does happen for some characters in the first law. It does happen. Like I think Glockta changes for the better in the first law trilogy, although he you know had a while to go, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh Giselle changes for the better in a lot of ways in the first law trilogy. Even Monza, I would say, changes for the better, uh, at least from where she was when she was at her vengeance point. Right, right. And but all that being said. It's like the most typical, and a lot of people change for the worst. Uh, Shivers did by the Yeah, end even of this though one. like it uh,
0: changes for the better, but a situation gets way, way worse.
1: <laughs> right. But I think the most typical Abercrombie way of viewing humanity and change is like, first of all, it's non linear, meaning like even when they make changes, there's going to be backslides. Right. And there's going to be these moments where they, they change back. And sometimes. The, your whole life is just a back, like, is just backsliding back and forth and never really making any changes. And I think that's what happens often and yes. it happens to casca yeah, it's casca drinking moment. alcohol again too. yeah so he's, like, he's like sometimes yeah.
0: you know it's like hey i am what i yeah. am i change back it happens <laughs> it's a, and he's trying so. to warm friendly up to the idea of change and he's like you know we complement <laughs> each other so well we both have what yeah. the other one completely lacks and it's an interesting comparison to make and yeah so that's that's friendly and casca and I think next we gotta go to. Meanwhile, in the dungeons beneath Fantasamo, uh Shivers is on death row, and Ooh. he's pretty much accepted it. I mean, he's he's just like, well, this is my situation right now, and it's only a matter of time. And this was all for nothing. And like, what a what a waste of time this was. And then who shows up but you know Manza herself and we get these moment where Mons just like here's my ring you know this ring that's been going around the whole book and he's like take it and leave and never come back um and he like shivers is basically almost like bemused at this and he's like okay it's like i guess i'll go back to the north now and he has this line where it's like so that's how this ends is it that's the ending and Monza's like you think you deserve something better mm-hmm. like like what do you think this is and um yeah I, so it's a sh- meta moment too yes exactly super meta super very much in the line of abercrombie's humor where it's like what did you ever think would happen to shivers and Monza? you know it's like how many times has I made this clear that it was nothing
1: special. <laughs> like
0: it, it, in the sense right. that there was no romance and, and the fact that there was nothing special. I there mean, was potential th- for it at was. one point.
1: And then it did. And this is how a lot of relationships go is there's that potential for uh, romance and then Something is done or said, like an eye is burned out. And then that person accuses the other one or says, like, it should have been you. And And usually after that, the relationship does not work out. And that's what happens. And then, yeah, we get this meta moment, like you're saying, Charles, of... Uh, so that's the ending. You think you deserve something better. And Monza might as well be saying that to us as the readers. <laughs> like, you think you deserve a happier, better, like, more tie it all together ending for these two? No. This is this is an Abercrombie novel and I don't like to give you that. And I like to give you something that feels real. And yes. he, I think he does that here. And I, would... I have a shivers quote. Sure. If... So he walks away thinking this, Charles. He was a better man. Of that he had no doubt. A wiser man. Used to be he was his own worst enemy. Now He was everyone else's. And I don't know. We talked a little bit. Is Shivers being more honest with himself or less honest with himself? And I'm going to say that this is a moment for me to tease that we'll get more into that in our Shivers character profile.
0: Heyo. Definitely a great tease with the Shivers character profile there, Dylan. Well done. And that gives us the opportunity to shift our focus to the last remaining main character here and that is Monza. and after meeting with her counselors we have the grand duchess of talents Monza, who is pregnant with shiver's child with um the former king Rogan. rogant of all of styria's child who's to say but she's feeling very optimistic and while she's Bemusing herself over these thoughts, who is to visit but a representative from Valant and Bach, none other than Euros, Yoru, Sulphur. Yoru, Sulphur. Yoru Sulphur, who has yeah. popped in and out of the First Law Trilogy consistently, revealed that he was an eater, which was a huge revelation in the First Law Trilogy. And it is a warning sign here at the end of this book. And he offers Monza the backing of the respected banking house of Valentin Bonk. <laughs> but Monza is basically like, nah, dude, I'm good. And then uh, your sulfur starts almost threatening her. Oh, actually, definitely threatening her, being yes. like, oh, are you sure? Like, the bank has lots of influence. You'd be really bummed out
1: if you said no to this deal. And then who? walks and he's like he's physically threatening her because he's like you know it is we're all alone you and me in this room yeah and it's like teeth are glinting i think those kind of things right right and then yeah go on charles then she's
0: also been like oh yeah well you're you know your buddy um ishri came as well and i just a few days Mm -hmm. before and i told her no and and then you know that just kind of escalates your Sulphur's threats, and then just as he starts to get um, threatening physically, as you had mentioned, Dylan, who steps in out of the shadows, but shanked, and they are staring each other down, and shanked is kind of revealing some of this history of like um like anything that he does, I. Unravel, You know, something like that, which is um, really interesting. He's seeking vengeance on Baez and he now destroys everything that he tries to achieve. And that this idea that Monza went off on this <laughs> surge of revenge just conveniently worked out for Shank the whole time. It was something that he was hoping to do by keeping her alive. He's like, I kept you alive because Baez wanted you dead. So that's what I'm all about and that was an interesting glimpse into the larger theater being played here the larger stage of this theater between Baez and Kalul and Monza somehow manages to ride this third party and find her own very unique wedge in this in this game which how does that have implications in the future who's to say this is the last book that i've read of the first law trilogy so i do not know where the story continues to go but it opens up a lot of potential here that there may be a third player in the game even though it seems to be quite a small one right now there seems to be a lot of promise here and who knows how it will play out in the future but it has me excited dylan it has me excited
1: yep And I will refrain from any comment about (laughs) (laughs) what's going to happen in the future books to keep this spoiler free. But I will say that it's revealed in this moment that not only is Schenkt out there trying to destroy what Baez is doing, but Schenkt is also a former apprentice of Mm -hmm. Baez's. And we, yeah, we get this sense of, so we also had found out already that Schenkt was Vitari's uh, I guess the father of Atari's children yes. is probably the best way to speak to that. I would say and, so. Yeah, and we get this sense that he he is, I think, trying to do these little goods in the midst of doing a lot of nece- what he sees as necessary bads. Like he's trying to spare one person if he can and those kind of things. Oh, but yeah. He's yeah. seeing it too with this like Machiavellian approach where it seems like he thinks bias is pure evil and he might not be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, if if I can just do the opposite of bias, it doesn't really matter what it takes. It's probably a good influence on the yeah. world. So not a bad take. But, an interesting yeah. take
0: for certain.
1: <laughs> so shall we shall we talk about Monza's Monza's end here, Charles? Yeah, let's bring Monza
0: is... home and then call yeah. it an episode here.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we get that moment where she's releasing shivers. And we get we also get Monza as this person who has like I think you you mentioned this Charles there's some like acceptance that she's reached and ability to be a leader actually trying to do the right things and with this good balance of ruthlessness and mercy. She shows shivers mercy mm-hmm. and she she's kind of more in touch with herself by the end of this. And I think if this, so yeah, she's basically the ruler of Styria at this point and she's pregnant and stuff. And she has gone through what I see as growth that stems from understanding who her brother actually was. Like that's Mm -hmm. the real moment of like of truth for her where then it b- totally shatters a story she's been telling herself of her as the ruthless person who is in charge of everything, just trying to protect her harmless little brother who she's been looking out for since they were little kids, and he was so pure and all this kind of stuff. It's finally all shattered, and when she's able to see Benna for the 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 snake that he was, yes, uh, the well the butcher that, that he there. was, yes, Charles, yes. yes, exactly a. When she's able to see him that way, she's able to say, oh crap, like I was in this codependent relationship with my brother in every way possible. Like that's as codependent as it gets, Mm -hmm. right? And he was all of those things that everyone was pinning on me and that I was coming to tell myself that I was. And when she sees Benna for what he is, she's able to accept herself as someone who actually has some of that like good-natured side of her and in Mm. fact that good-natured side of her was the reason why she felt such a desire to care for benna so closely and kind of give in to him and kind of be agreeable with him and let him do all of his crap and to try to see the best in him and i think finally when she's able to uh slough off all of the uh, extra weight and skin that was coming from benna's really awful vile stuff he was doing she's able to be this like measured person who's come to accept herself and i think the big moment for that is she you know benna's ring that she that he gave to her Uh has been kind of floating around throughout this story this whole time and people see it as her ring, but she knows it's Benna's ring. Like, mm-hmm. right? Like Shanked, I think, is following her and like finds a ring. It's like, oh, it's uh it's Manza's it's Monza's yeah. ring. I'm getting close. But it's been Benna's ring the whole time. And the way that she leaves off the story, her final scene, is that she just tosses the ring to Shivers, basically. Like she's like, this I don't need this anymore and shivers is like oh great a ring like i can pawn this yeah. it's like no idea of the significance of this thing but to me that moment is this moment of of monza saying i'm done with benna i'm done with that side of things and i'm going to be me now but she's kind of handing off the baton to shivers who's now on his own path of let's see where this takes him of thinking he's this awful terrible Person who's everyone's enemy, and we don't know where that will go for Shivers, but I, right. that's how
0: I see it. No, I agree a hundred percent. I think that's very well said, Dylan. And it's, it's to me this whole time with every act of horrible violence that happens as a result of Monza's request. Uh, request Monza's quest for violence. It's a test where she's not quite sure how to feel, and sometimes she feels you know bloodthirsty and gratified sometimes she wants to be merciful she's really without benna she's like you said she was so codependent with her relationship with yeah. benna that now in a benna world she's mm. she doesn't know what to do and how to feel and the more she discovers about herself now that she's on her own i would say the more she comes into her own and it's through all these several different acts of violence. Some were, you know, her hitting a guy with a hammer and feeling good or neutral about it. And others were, you know, watching innocent people get killed and feeling regretful about it. And it was never simple and it was never consistent. And it's that complication that... I find so interesting. It's almost like her path of yeah. self-discovery. And like you said, yeah. this moment of tossing the ring is, is is crucial because it's her moving on from who she was when she was with Benna. And now she is the mm-hmm. Grand Duchess of Talons. She doesn't bow down to the bank or the church, which is a huge accomplishment. I don't think she realizes how big of an accomplishment that is, which is yeah. kind of interesting. She doesn't really know. She just mm-hmm. knows that she doesn't want to be a part of it which is interesting. Right. she's smart enough to know that she's always had a good way of reading other people but could she turn yes. that high powered perception back on herself? not really and uh, it's uh yeah it just I just think the Monza cool. character is so great and
1: and she finally does and I think and I think I think we are kind of circling as we as we complete the Monza stuff toward the the end here so I'll see maybe this is what we'll I'll leave you with, but let me know, Charles, if you have more to say. Sure. Is I got one more Casca quote that I think oh. is how, yeah. All right, let's uh, get to it. Which I think is just him delivering truth, which is after Monza gives another, like, mercy and cowardice are the same type of BS line. Casca says, Do you know why I always loved hmm. you, Monza? Even after you betrayed me, more after you betrayed me. He goes on to say, because I know you don't really believe any of that rubbish. Those are the lies you tell yourself so you can live with what you've done, what you've had to do. And that's how I see it.
0: You know, I, I see it the same way. It's uh, it's just a matter of like, look, we, we know what we're about, right? Like you and me have this understanding and that's why... I've had this connection with you and we've seen a lot of touching bonding moments between Casca and Monza that have kind of transcended into the theme of this book and a lot of the hopeful themes
1: of this book so yeah well said Dylan that, that had to do piece is big mm-hmm. because I don't think Monza's ever wanted to do those things she's had to because of the situations that Benna put her in because yes. she was always trying to take care of Benna. Right. And that's the had to do. Yeah, she, like, she was, like accepted the responsibility like, of these actions yes. that were
0: yes. to to in many cases to a great extent out of her hands and and yeah. her ability to fit into that role to keep the ship going, you know, is is what Costca you know, Koska recognized that at all times even when it meant him getting betrayed by her. He was like, "I recognize yeah. that you are filling this role as part of what Benna did and you are seeing through all the baloney so that's a great quote and well said Charles thank you great find of a quote Dylan and you know this has been another awesome conversation around the first law I'm so jazzed every time I read Abercrombie this is a great book and we have completed every book that I've ever read of Abercrombie as we move forward it will be my first experience with these books and i don't know what's gonna happen but i'm excited
1: (laughs) well i know what's gonna happen and i'm (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) Uh, i've been waiting so long charles as you know for you to catch up with abercrombie i I think yeah but not for that much longer we're gonna be ready for the wisdom of crowds in time to cover that and around its release in september is the plan it yep. sounds like so yeah i am i'm just so pumped charles it's gonna be a, a great oh, time man, and i'm so excited oh, the I'm heroes so excited. your first time reading the heroes is first time going to reading up the heroes so. cannot wait i have no
0: idea what's in store for me and that is an exciting Feeling so i am strolling confidently into those books and i know from abercrombie fashion it's called the heroes but i cannot imagine (laughs) it is about anyone being heroic by any stretch of the Uh, imagination (laughs) i have a and i have a sense of what abercrombie thinks it means about you know i can see his take (laughs) on heroism and uh I'm willing, I'm excited to see where he goes with it, but I know it's not the simple way. So,
1: yes, that's well said, Charles. It will not be the simple way. It's always complex. It's always gray, and it's always Abercrombie. But before,
0: so. well said, Dylan. But before we can get to the heroes, we
1: have to wrap up. Best served cold. What do you say to a little sweet, sweet outro music? I say get that sweet, sweet outro music. Pumpin' Charles, a pleasure as always pleasure talking Abercrombie with you. So always, let's uh, Dylan, let's pleasure, bring it home. Pleasure, pleasure.
0: <laughs> That's all this was. Thank you all. And let's get that sweet, sweet outro music. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. This has been your co-host, Charles and Dylan, talking best serve cold by That's Joe us. Abercrombie with you today. It was us. It was a pleasure. If you like what you heard, if you want to take part in the discussion after the show, well, the best place to do that is over on Twitter, and that is at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. It is also on Instagram, at the FTF. podcast now Dylan if someone wanted to support the show beyond social media and they just
1: so happen to be listening on Apple podcasts what can they do toss five stars to our podcast. Just find that Friends Talking Fantasy page on the Apple Podcast app. Click the Friends Talking Fantasy page. Scroll down past all those episodes until you start seeing stars. Once you're seeing stars, the optimal number of stars to click to support the show would be five of them. If you have a little bit of extra time and want to go that next step, writing a review is super helpful for a podcast like ours. But as always, just listening, giving us the chance to spend Jeez, what has it been? Over three hours between the two parts, uh, like yeah, the two different of Cold episodes. Yeah. Over three hours of Pester of Cold discussion, with another few hours to go with character profiles coming. That is more than enough. Listening to the, all this, so, thank you so much. We appreciate <laughs> thank yeah, you. This you all so, so
0: so much for indulging all of our Abercrombie shenanigans. <laughs> we greatly appreciate it. And as always, guys, go forth and conquer friends